All right, we got everybody? Your husband was saying you're uh, always the uh, late one. Um, <laughs> he chose not, to, to his defense, he chose not to answer that question. I answered that question for my wife and I. She's always late. I'm on time. Yeah, I told, I t I told him that uh, even in college my wife was late, so there's no, no excuse, but we're just kidding around. All right, let's pray, um, and then we're going to get uh, started. So I want you guys to grab the person next to you and um, pray for this time. Uh, pray that the Lord give you strength and energy. Pay attention. He would give you understanding. And, um, and then if you want to, you can pray for the rest of the day as well. Okay, so grab somebody next to you. One, yep, two or three people, and uh, pray it up, and then I will close this in prayer. Okay? Break. Well, Father, we thank you for this morning that you've given us, Lord. Thank you for waking us up. God, we thank you for giving us breath and life and energy uh, for the day ahead. Lord, we pray that you would just be with us now as we open up your word and seek to learn from it. Lord, would you uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you might have to teach us. God, we pray that you would take away just the many distractions that might be existing in our minds right now, maybe things that happened yesterday or um, things that are going to happen today or in the um, days to come. We just pray that you would please help us to focus on your word and that you would teach us what you want to teach us, and Lord, that we would go away uh, following you and however you challenge us and lead us. And uh, Father, we pray that it would be all for your glory and for our good and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, um, is there anybody that uh, did not come last summer? Raise your hand if you did not come last summer. Okay. So, real quick, uh, my name is Pastor Pete. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the assistant pastor. I came up here about two years ago, and um, uh, we came up from Charlotte, North Carolina, to be a part of the ministry here, uh, um, this church plant. And uh, so we were involved in college ministry for about six years. And then we decided to uh, go into pastoral ministry, my wife and I and our family. And so we were looking for a church that was very much so like New City Fellowship, had the kind of core values, the core convictions, and, and uh, even in the inner city like uh, we are here. And so uh, after a, a long kind of process, the Lord brought us here to uh, New City Fellowship here in Atlantic City. 
and now we've been serving here for about two years. And so usually kind of for the first timers, I give a different talk of kind of how a kid that, uh, that grew up in kind of the suburbs of North Carolina ended up in the inner city here in the Northeast. And so um, you guys can listen to that later or ask me more about it. I'd love to share kind of that with you. So Lord did a lot in our lives to bring us here. But today uh, we're going to be talking about more of the theme. So the theme, which is what? Unity. Unity. Good, good. So to kind of get us warmed up this morning, I'm going to see if you guys uh, can kind of help answer some questions and uh, get our minds thinking. So has anybody ever heard of, seen the movie, read the books, uh, or the book, I guess it would be, of The Three Musketeers? Anybody? Three Musketeers? You heard of them? All right. What was their, uh, their big phrase they said? I want to say it again. All for one and one for all, right? So though they were individuals um, trying to uh, carry out their job, they carried out their job protecting um, the king uh, as, as a unified group, okay? They fought as, as a group together or, or sought to guard as a, as a group together and not as individuals, all right? So maybe more of us will get this next one. What is the motto of our country? Does anybody know? What? Uh, it's a Latin phrase. Yes. And what does that mean? What's that? Yeah. One out of many or out of many, one. What does that mean? What does that mean for our country? Okay, many states all join together in one country. What else does it mean? That's more of the original meaning. What else does it mean? We have many states. What else do we have? Many people. Yep, so we're, we're many people kind of working together. We come from all different what? Nationalities, backgrounds, right? And so... Um, we have people from all over Europe, Africa, all over parts of the world that are coming together. And what's the term that we kind of hear in school? It's a M. A mosaic. That's good. Um, melting pot. There we go. Melting pot, right? Where we see the diversity of our country coming together under the ideals in which we hold and which we believe, okay? And so... I wanted to, to talk about these two phrases and two examples because they kind of highlight this idea of unity or this idea of oneness. And actually for Christians, um, for us who believe the Bible and who love the Bible, unity is a very important topic all throughout Scripture. Okay, so the unity of God's people and the unity of the church. And um, so we're going to look at that today through uh, just one verse, but we're going to read it in its context. And so we're going to turn over to, Gal- or, um, sorry, not Galatians, Colossians 3. Colossians 3. And uh, if you have trouble finding Colossians, um, I usually use an acronym. But uh, last week's team, they won the prize for the best acronym. So starting in Galatians, Gentiles eat pork chops. So we're going to chops, Okay. Chops. I usually had, I, I, when I was in college, someone told me God eats potato chips. And, uh, but 
Gentiles eat pork chops, all right? Gentiles eat pork chops. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right, so we're going to look at Colossians 3, and as you're turning there, I'm going to read to you guys, to us, the verse that we will be focusing on, okay? It's verse 11. Here, there is not, not, not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. All right, so can I have someone stand up for me? Uh, for us, and read the, almost the whole chapter. I want you to read uh, verses 1 through 17. Who will stand up for me and read verse 1 through 17 nice and loud so we can get into Paul's flow of thought? Anybody? 17 verses? All right. Cynthia, I think. Thank you. Okay, so we just read the first 17 verses, and I want you guys to, to take a look at it, and I want someone, maybe one or two of you guys, to kind of give a summary in your own words. And so maybe you had to explain what verses 1 through 17 might be talking about to a person that kind of wasn't here this morning. How would you summarize what Paul's talking about? Doesn't have to be fancy, but what is Paul saying here in summary? That's great. I love it. That's great. Very good. Anybody else? Yeah, let's give her a hand. 
All right. Anybody else want to give it a try? Anybody else? Okay. All right. Doesn't matter your differences. Still, we are called to love each other and support each other. Well, let me give you the way that uh, after studying it, I kind of summarize it, okay? And this is the summary that I kind of put down to kind of make sense of it in my mind. And it's this, that if we have become followers of Jesus Christ, our lives should look different, progressively so, from the world's. So each and every day, our lives should look different from the world and from who we used to be before Christ. We should look more and more like Jesus each and every day, by the grace of God, and through the help of the Holy Spirit, okay? So one of the, the terms that we use when we talk about uh, biblical theology is sanctification, okay? You've probably heard that term if you've grown up in the church uh, at any bit of time or been around the church, but really that's just a word that talks about our becoming more and more like Jesus each and every day, okay? That's the goal of every Christian, um, and we're going to look at that today through the lens of Colossians 3.11. So let me read that again for us as we begin. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So here in, this, in the middle of this passage, um, when Paul is describing to us what the Christian life should look like, um, he begins by saying this word here. And what he means by that is he's talking about here in this new reality of being a Christian, of living the Christian life. Or as one commentator put it, he talks about the new humanity, okay? And so Jesus has saved us, right? He has made us his own, and uh, and now we are beginning to look different. And Paul is saying here in this place of the Christian reality, things are different than the old way of life. So the question is, how does it look different, right? Our lives shouldn't be the same. People that see us and interact with us after we become Christians, they should say, something's different about your life. You're not the person that you used to be. You don't struggle with this necessarily as much as you did before you were a Christian. What's the deal? Well, what Paul does is he kind of explains what is our life is to look like and how it is to go that route. And so really what I want to do this morning is just look at two applications for us um, through verse 11 and kind of flesh those things out together. And the first one is this, that in Christ, racism, classism, sexism, or any other version of I am better than you is dead. Is dead. Okay, we are united in Christ. We are one. So let me say that again. In Christ, Racism, classism, sexism, or any other version of I am better than you is dead. In Christ we're one. So oftentimes in our daily life, we kind of make distinctions or categories. We separate things out. And not all of those categories or distinctions are bad. But let's brainstorm together. What are some of the categories or distinctions that we make in our everyday life as it relates to people? How do we break groups down? Good and bad. 
And especially for those of us in school, let's think about the school kind of atmosphere. How do we break things down, people down? Okay. Okay, well, give us some of the interest. Music, sports, good. Okay, what else? Okay, the way that they dress, um, maybe a particular style of, of clothing or kind of like that. Okay, what else? The people they hang out with. Okay, so how do we break down groups based on who we hang out with? Okay, people I like to talk to. Um, so let's go back to... Okay. Sure, sure. And, and you could probably break down those groups, things that we already said, talking about sports or um, your activities, your interest. Maybe it's drama. Maybe it's um, other after school. Maybe it's the, sh- the guys that like to hang out in the shop and do shop work, whatever it is like that. How else do we break down people? into groups. And so what do we call the people that love to study? Bookworms. Nerds. Okay, that's another distinction. Um, We've already talked about sports. What about by this? What is this? Yeah, color of their skin, right? That's one way we break down groups. We say, okay, well, the the black guys hang out over here, the white guys, Latino guys. Okay, what else? What's another way? How much money you have, right? Okay, what's your wealth enough to be afforded to be involved in? Yes, like extracurricular activities, um, clubs, uh, those kinds of things. Not everybody can participate in that because of money. And we make distinctions based on that. So... Kind of we talk about the rich, the poor, um, those kind of in the middle. We also can talk about that in classes, um, which we, we very much have here in our own country. So we have the lower class, we have middle class. You can kind of break that down to blue collar, and then you have the upper class, white collar uh, type things. Well, what's one that we make often in the church? A distinction. There's a particular distinction that I'm trying to get to as well. Yeah. That is what, that's the exact one I was looking for. Very good. You read my notes. Um, so age is one, right? Um, we do this a lot in the church. We break down things uh, based on age, and there's not necessarily a, a bad thing to that. Um, there are advantages to that. Uh, but as well, there, we kind of separate, for example, the young and the old. The young hang out and the old hang out, but rarely do they hang out together. I'm going to hit on that a little bit later. But these distinctions I want us to know are not all inherently bad or evil. Okay, So just in the fact of making these distinctions isn't wrong. Sometimes they are helpful in describing something or studying something or trying to talk about a certain uh, group inside of a school, for example. Um, So let me kind of give an example of this. Uh, So you've met Santo, and you've met me. So how do you think Santo and I are different? What are some uh, obvious ways that we are different? 
<laughs> I'm younger. Okay, good. What else? Diff- yep, uh, he has kids that are out of the house. Well, back in the house this summer, kind of. Um, but uh, <laughs> he's not paying attention. Um, uh, yep, uh, so different life stages. What else? What it, yep. Different areas of country, right? Yeah, he's from the Northeast. Uh, I'm from North Carolina. What else? Instruments? Yeah, he, he plays instruments. I pretty much don't. Um, oh, yeah, the way, way that we preach, the way that we do things like that. Okay. Um, what does he love to talk about all the time? Have you guys picked up on that yet? Italy, Italy, yes, he's Italian, he's very proud of being Italian, which is a very good thing. Um, any guess of what I am? A European mutt, well, okay, that's, that's probably true of all of us in some way. Um, uh, actually, most, most of my uh, ethnic or back, background is Swedish, but I don't really know too much about Sweden. The only thing, claim to fame I have about Sweden is that I asked the princess of Sweden to my prom. Uh, she had to decline uh, due to other engagements, but um, it was part of an AP European uh, project, um, I think, and I, I sent a letter to her, but I got an official letter back from her secretary. I doubt that she ever got the request. But, so, Santo and I, going back to that, we are different, right? We're not the same people, and those differences aren't bad, Right? Some of those differences may be bad, but uh, most of those differences are just the way that God made us, right? There are distinctions that God has, has given us, and uh, we have had to learn in, in working together here in this job and being friends, that we have had to learn to appreciate each other's differences. And one of the things that I was told in college when I was being discipled by the staff guy there at Campus Outreach, the college ministry I was a part of, is he said, Peter... I don't want you to become the most Christ-like version of me as possible. He said, I want you to become the most Christ-like version of yourself as possible. Because, bless you, there was, the, there was the tension there or the pull to say, I want to become like him. Or he's wanting me to become exactly like him in his gifts and how he does things and what he's good at. But what he was saying was, look, Peter, God made you as an individual. God gave you certain personalities, certain interests, certain desires, certain giftings. And I want you to become the most Christ-like version of yourself as possible because if you become like me, it's not going to help the kingdom of God too much. Now, obviously, I want to be like him in holiness and some of his good attributes and character traits. But as far as those other things that make us separate, those things are good things that God has given us. So let's look back at Colossians 3.11. And what are some of the distinctions... Um, that Paul talks about? What are the categories that he brings up? Okay, Greek and Jew. Tell me about, someone tell me about that difference, that distinction. Think about the rest of the Bible. Greek and Jew. Okay, good. Yeah, the, the, the Jews were God's chosen people. The, Jew, or the Greeks or Gentiles were not. Uh, what else? Anything else about them you guys can think of? Uh, in some ways, yes. Um, it, it depended on the culture of kind of the umbrella of Gentile Greek. Um, one thing that Dave likes to say 
um, last time I got in trouble saying that he harps on, but um, is that they were the original, that was the original racial reconciliation through the gospel. The Gentiles and the Jews. And what God was doing was he was bringing those two together under Jesus Christ. But before Christ, you were either a Jew and you were in the covenant, you were God's chosen people, or you were not. You were in or you were out based on those two things. All right, so what are the other distinctions that uh, Paul gives us here? We've got Greek and Jew. Circumcised or uncircumcised. Kind of the sign of the covenant, right? What are the other ones? Slave or free. And then the last two? Yep, okay. And so, again, as we just said, even as Paul is describing these two differences, it's not inherently wrong to observe that there are such distinctions in the church there um, in Colossae. Colossae, I think that's how you say it. Um, so it wasn't inherently wrong for a Jew to be a Jew or a Gentile or a Greek to be that way. After all, um, all throughout the Bible, we, re- we realize that we are all made in what? The what? Image of God. We are all made in the image of God. That means that God has created us uniquely, and he created the barbarian and then Cynthia and alike in the image of God. And now, obviously, we can admit that all of us don't reflect that image perfectly all the time, right? That's where we're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And also, we can admit that just as in one culture there is good and bad, in another culture there is good and bad, so not everything about every culture or every distinction is good. There might be some bad in which to say, you know what, that's something as a culture they don't do very well. It's not very godly, and we need to throw that away. But there are some things that as a culture they do very well, or as a group they do very well. So God has made every human being in his image, and he has given us certain talents, abilities, and personalities, and they are all not the same but we are encouraged to appreciate those and also encouraged to have them be fleshed out inside of the community of faith in our working together. So I want to ask you this. What do you think the problem was at the church that Paul was speaking to that he had to offer this correction in verse 11? What was the problem, do you think? Why did he have to say what he said in verse 11? They were segregating themselves, right? Well, one of the things is that these distinctions were not only being made, but they were becoming barriers to their fellowship, their partnership with one another, and their pursuit of becoming more and more like Jesus. They were becoming those forms, like we said earlier, I am better than you because, fill in the blank, okay? And so these distinctions even though they're not inherently all bad, were becoming barriers to their fellowship and to their pursuit of holiness. Now, why, why do you think that we kind of sinfully want to make these categories of I am better than you because? Why do you think we do that? We want more attention ourselves. That's good. What else? Yeah, if I'm better than you because of 
well, the sport I play, then I feel superior to you. There's a certain uh, power or authority that I feel like I have over you. What else? I think those are kind of some of the big ones, right? Power, authority, fame, feeling our self-worth increase while someone else's decreases. It's all a part of I am better than you because of X, Y, or Z. And what Paul is saying here, what God is saying here to us, that it's wretched, that that is a heinous sin. That goes against everything that he teaches us in the scriptures about what it means to be made in the image of God and to work together as the church, and to pursue Christ-likeness together. And so Paul is correcting them and saying that all these human distinctions that are breaking up our fellowship are wrong. He says, Now because of Christ's work on the cross, He has broken down all the racial, social, economic divides, and He dwells in all of His people through the Holy Spirit regardless of any of these man-made distinctions. That's really important for us to see. That these distinctions, when they become a barrier for us loving each other, for us working together, for us trying to help each other become more and more like Jesus, that that is wrong. That needs to be something that we repent of, that we are honest about. Because in Christ, these distinctions are not important in that sense. Now, in Christ, there is only one distinction. And what is that one distinction that Paul brings out? How does Paul separate people? You're either what? Good. Christian or non-Christian. And another way that he puts it is, you are either in Christ, pursuing Christ-likeness, or you're not. That's the one distinction that matters, right? Do you know Jesus? Have you believed in Him? Are you trying to follow Him? Or are you not? Now, as a clarification, that doesn't mean that all of these distinctions that we just talked about are, are bad or um, we shouldn't talk about them. It's okay for Santo to want to be Italian. He is Italian, but to, to want to be proud of being Italian. That's a good thing, right? It's okay for someone to say, I love uh, my particular instrument that I play, or I love the sport that I play. Amen. Do it to the glory of God. But don't let that become a barrier to your fellowship with one another. Listen to one uh, quote here. Let me read it for us. Where the image of God is truly reflected in men, distinctions of race, class, and culture are artificial and have no real significance. Such differences, to be sure, remain in the Christian community, but not in such a way as to be barriers to fellowship. To the extent that Christians do permit them to be barriers, They are acting out of character. So that when we do allow these things to be barriers, we're acting really like what? What are we acting like? Our old selves, right? The old man. Go back to the first half of Colossians 3. You know, all these things that are nasty and ugly, and and we we used to be doing all those things. We're more like that person, the old man, the non-Christian then we are the new man or the new woman in Jesus Christ. So I want to challenge you guys to think about sometime today, what are the man-made distinctions 
that cause barriers in your fellowship with other Christians. They may be different for each of you, okay? And I know that we still struggle with them as Christians, okay? I've already explained to you guys one of mine. One of mine was age. I had kind of a, a, a bias, uh, for example, toward the young. And I didn't really very much value the older folks in our church at a period of my life. Another one could be class, or it could be age. It could be race. You, know, you may say I'm not an overt racist, but there may be some shred of racism inside of you that you have to deal with. We all have to at some point. So what are those distinctions that cause barriers between you and other believers? I want you guys to think about that today, okay? All right, so let's move on to our second uh, and last main point. And it is this, as followers of Christ, we are to pursue Christ-likeness and do it together. All right? So as people trying to follow Jesus... We are supposed to become more and more like Him, by God's grace and by His help, but we're also called to do it together. It's not something we do on our own. Alright, so remember the context, chapter 3, which verse 11 fits into. It's talking about our sanctification, our pursuing um, holiness. And so what I think Paul is saying here is that since we are all in Christ, regardless of these human distinctions that we are making, Sanctification is a community project. Sanctification is a community project, right? And the question I thought of was, how do you do a community project if you're just acting like individuals? Can you? No. By the very definition of a community project, it has to be working together as a community, right? And so if we try to do a community project as individuals, we know it's going to be set up for failure. And so the same way, when we think about our own sanctification, if we try to do it apart from other believers, especially other believers who are not like us, something's going to go wrong. Something's going to be incomplete. So if we do try to do this, we are actually missing out on part of our sanctification. By not rubbing shoulders with people who are not like you, you miss out. You're incomplete. You're a missing part of the image of God by not hanging out with that older person or not hanging out with that person who who likes a different sport than you or has a different hobby than you. Well, as I said, um, I learned some of these lessons a lot in uh, in years past. And one of the ones that I want to just read to you real quick was a letter that I wrote to my previous pastor down in Charlotte. And it kind of talks about this reality of learning from those people that weren't like me. And so I want you guys to listen as I read just part of this letter that I wrote to him. It says, Dear Mike, I hope you've been enjoying your sabbatical and that the Lord is giving you and Jane great rest in him. I've been thinking about my past five years here at Christ's Covenant, Covenant recently, especially in preparation for preaching this sermon on Hebrews 13, 7 and 8. When I think back to my senior year of college, I was faced with a decision to come on staff with Campus Outreach as the 1822 generation director or go and do something else. I loved Campus Outreach, college students, and was growing in my love for the local church, so it was a no-brainer for me. However, I I didn't love Christ's covenant yet. If I'm honest with myself, I wouldn't have picked to come to Christ's covenant on my own. 
For the most part, I probably wanted to be in the cool, trendy, diverse church filled with excited young Christians just like me. But thank God that's not what happened. And he brought me here where I met a fiery old man who both made me mad and uncomfortable and yet would become someone I deeply admire, love, and have learned so much from. And then I list out some of the major lessons that he's taught me. Let me read them out for us. Number one, newer isn't necessarily better. History is important because it is his story. So learn from the past. I'm not the first to do this Christian life. Number two, revival is the great need of our time and is worth my life's pursuit. Number three, impressions, perception, dress, etc. are important and reveal something about the state of my heart no matter how much I've fought you on this. The kingdom of God, number four, is the great theme of the Bible and of our lives. We are all caught up in a story larger than life, greater than self, and lasting forever. Number five, the cause of truth is always more important than its consequences. Number six, the church and the PCA are our family and the place that the Lord has called us to. It's a messy family sometimes, but what family isn't? It's our family, and it's worth the struggle. Christ's bride, the church, wasn't nice and neat, but he died for it. Thus, my life is not my own, and I will live it for Christ, his gospel, and his church. And then I add here now that one of the big lessons was learning about generations in community in the local church. And I close by saying, these are some of the lessons I have learned from considering your way of life in Christ. By God's grace and for his glory, I want to imitate your faith and example before me in our church and the church that I'm pastoring one day. Thank you for your faithful service to Christ's covenant these past years, and may the Lord give you many more. So I wrote this letter to my pastor as I was preparing to leave and to go to another church, saying, this is what I learned by rubbing shoulders with you, by doing life with you, by sitting under your preaching and your teaching and your mentorship of me. Because if I didn't do that, if I didn't submit myself to that, there would have been a part of my sanctification that was incomplete. I would have missed out. And you may be asking yourself, am I really missing out on my sanctification? Or is it incomplete if I'm only around people that are just like me? And I think what Paul, what God is telling us this morning is yes, So let's brainstorm that for a minute. How do you think that doing life and sanctification with those that are not like you actually helps you? How does this help you? What do you guys think? Okay, what do you mean by that? Yeah. They see things differently, right? A man who my pastor grew up probably in the 60s and 70s, he has a whole different slew of life experiences that could be helpful for me now living in where, where I am and growing up. Good. What else? Older people are often okay. Older people are often wiser. Good. They have a lot of that life wisdom they've learned over the years and want to pass on to the next generation. What else? What's that thing that you're supposed to check when you're moving over a lane in traffic? 
Huh? Blind spot. Blind spot, right? Does anybody have blind spots in their life? Yeah, we should all be raising our hands. We all have blind spots in our, in our life. We have things that we can't see as clearly. Maybe we have a, a cultural blind spot or a, a status or societal blind spot or generational blind spot that we couldn't otherwise see unless we had that person that was different from us pointing it out, right? Maybe we need that older person or we need that person of a different race or a different class to say, you know what? You may not see this because you're in that. And let me talk to you about it. And that's helpful because as we're rubbing shoulders with them, we're learning. We're seeing things that we might otherwise not be aware of in our walk with the Lord, in our trying to become more and more like Him. Another thing is is that we get outside of our comfort zones, right? One of the things about mission trips like this is that you guys are stepping out of what is normal for you. You're stepping out of what is comfortable, what is easy in some ways, what you're used to, and you're having to trust God. You're having to step out in faith. And when we step across those barriers that the world makes, whether it's of race or class or whatever like that, we are having to trust God. We are having to see Him show up in big ways and say, you know what? I can't stand country music, but I'm going to go you know, uh, marry a person that loves country music, and I'm going to somehow learn from that. I don't like country music. Okay? But my wife does. Somehow, there, that difference, God is going to hopefully bridge the gap some and teach me something about himself. Okay? Even with a silly example like that. We just talked about also uh, outside perspectives, right? Different people see things differently. And as we interact with them, we can begin to kind of be in their shoes as it were. We can start to see through the glasses that they see through. Yeah. Yeah. And how easy it would be to say, I only want to be with people that are in my life stage. Or I only want to be with people that like the things that I like or do the things that I do. That's natural for us to want to be in those things. Except for the few of us that liked, you know, being pushed out and, and self-inflicting pain and that kind of thing. But for most of us, we love just what is comfortable, right? And we need to be pushed out of that. Let me read to you guys a quote. It says this. Here there cannot be deep divisions, national and traditional, tribal and geographical, social and cultural, that largely distinguish us from one another. It's a marvelous dream, but in practical terms, what a risky claim to make. In this situation, Paul has only one hope. It is Christ and his reconciling power. So think about this. Is this all... This idea that Paul is trying to teach us or that God is trying to teach us about all people, all distinctions coming together under Jesus Christ. Is that just idealistic? Is that pie in the sky? Can it really happen? 
Can the young and the old be in a Bible study together over the long haul and learn from each other? Or can the black person and the white person come together and say, look, you know, even with our ethnic differences, we're coming together under Jesus Christ, learning from one another, rubbing shoulders, sharpening each other? Can that really happen? Yes. Paul is saying it can happen. And how Paul says that happens is the last phrase, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. The only way that this can happen is because Jesus Christ dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. It's because of His work inside of us and through us to be able to pursue this community project called sanctification. Jesus is the only way that this can happen. But it can happen. It's not something that we should look at and say, oh, you know what, it's just, it's just too idealistic. You know, that, that's a nice idea, but it can't happen. No, God is saying it, it can happen, and it will happen. If we trust Him and submit ourselves to Him and walk by faith and step out across those barriers and across those lines, He's going to meet us there. And He's going to do great and mighty things in our life and in the life of the other person or the other group. And I think one of the things that God's calling us to do today is to say to believe it. Believe it and live that way. This can happen. This should happen for Christians. Just like the whole of chapter 3 should be happening. We should be putting off our old self and putting on our new self day by day. And part of that is doing it together with all people, all races, all classes, all sexes coming under Jesus Christ and becoming more and more like Him. And so I hope that you guys have seen that from Colossians 3.11 and our, and our kind of just small study on it. But what I want to do um, before we kind of have any questions is I want to show a music video that uh, kind of caps off our, um, our look at Colossians 3.11. And this music video, uh, Caleb, can you get ready for us? Um, is by a Christian hip-hop artist um, from back in the day when I was... Um, Oh boy, this would have been still uh, in high school, graduating high school. And so his name is Ambassador, and we're going to listen to this song, and then we're going to do kind of a Q&A, okay? So do your best, even if you don't like hip-hop, to uh, listen to the words and, uh, and be challenged by them, okay? So go ahead and listen. This one's going to hit him right here. So many people are huh, inside, don't even know him, even though they might have heard him. Can he love me? Uh-huh. Will he hear my prayer? Oh, I think I'm ugly when he sees my clothes and sees my hair. I heard of a savior, heard he dead and died. Yes, he can give him my sins and we can get his life. Yet I wonder for me if he will even care. When he sees my clothes, or when he sees my Let hair. me get up in this verse right now. I'm thinking back to when we first got down. I only grope, but when you searched, I found. Snatch quick, though you knew how I act. That's what's sick. I was a pick that you drafted a backflip with a split. Couldn't be more backwards. In fact, that's classic. I love to see your tactics, but I think back to when I shrink back from the real beat. It's real deep. I really thought you could never feel me because my shirts were double X when really I was a small double shirts for the effect when really.
really it wasn't called for Pants baggy, they sagged and dragged on the floor But I was never that bored to show the back of his drawers But I did hang, kick slang, me and my boys did Rock durag till it put a crease in our foreheads And on the surface of the set we were workers But I'm glad you purposed the lovers and you made it your purchase ah. So many people are hurt inside Don't even know them even though they might have heard of God yeah. Can you love me? Uh, Will he hear my prayer? Or think I'm ugly when he sees my clothes and sees my hair? I heard of a savior, heard he dead and died We can give him our sins and we can get his life Yet I wonder for me if he will even care When he sees my clothes or when he sees my hair I weak, so many people never heard of the name Yeah, they heard the word Jesus but never heard of his fame They feel cut off from him, not just cause of their sin, but because of their clothes, hair or their color of skin. And they've been afloat, drowning in sin, we're in a boat, yet they've never been approached. Cause we see him as different folks, God's all for universal, he wants you in a circle, he wants you in a durag, and he wants you in the purple hair. Now you can just take a cursory, glance at the word and see, God made the plans of diversity. Is there one godly ethnic group in the church, should we all wear one polyester suit, or Maybe rock sandals and robes No ham I suppose When we meet maybe we should only eat salmon and loaves Should we only like the organ or the violin I'm inquiring I admire men up in the choir band women But one minute why do some people assume that God's iPod got no tunes they got the boom back He's with white, with black, with black With Asian, with rock, country jazz, with rap So Got to look on the inside.